What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer, and you are tuned in to another episode of Cogitations. This is Monday's episode. On Friday's show, I promised you we'd come on here and we would talk about the Nephilim. So as we get into our show, remember, Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about the identity of the Nephilim. And with us is a guest, not a special guest, Barry. You didn't warrant a special thumbnail with your picture. Nope. But you are a guest. <laughs> we have best. Sorry, I cracked no me problem. up. No problem. I cracked me up. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, we have Barry O'Dell, a, a, a good friend of mine, good friend of the show, good friend of Aaron Dotson's. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the Nephilim. Barry, uh, tell the folks, uh, everybody knows who you are by now, but tell the folks a little bit who you are and where you're from and all that good stuff. All right. Well, I'm from Ohio, but I live here in Mammoth Spring, Arkansas. Um, been here for last August, made nine years. I've been here at Mammoth, so about nine and a half years. And like I say, most of the folks who you and I share a lot of the same audience, Yes. Um, but I edit the Fulton County Gospel newspaper for which you, you've written for me several times and Aaron and others, but I guess that's about it. My wife, Gail, we've got two kids, and it's snowing and cold here. That's it. Tell us about the Fulton County Gospel News just a little Okay, and, and kind well, of plug where to go to get it. All right, thank you. That is a bi-monthly publication of the church here in Mammoth. It's been in circulation since 1953. You can go to com. Uh, when I moved here, I took every edition that was in existence, scanned it, put it in PDF format. And if you go to mammothspringchurchofchrist.com, every, every extant copy of that paper is on our website. You can download it. If you want it, you can get it through email, uh, or you can get it through the United States Postal Service, and it's always free of charge. That's awesome. So mammothspring dot com mammothspringchurchofchrist.com mammothspringchurchofchrist.com i should have had some overlays ready for you bubba that's all right what's up sword and pearl what's up robert leedy we have uh, another facebook user says good morning i think i know who that is but i'm not going to call their name um melissa price reginald perry hey hey alabama and whoops hold on let me get here where i can scroll down uh let's see John Exum, good to see you, man. John Exum was the first commenter. All right, so there's a there's a caption that I want to put up briefly and talk about it before we get into this uh, topic of conversation. Um, this was whenever I was doing a show, and I did a show about a really sticky, kind of touchy subject, and it was about salvation and being condemned to hell and you know what what would God do on the day of judgment for X, Y, Z. And we had to look at it from a from an academic perspective because if we looked at it through the feeling side of our brain, well, we weren't going to get the job done because, quite frankly, it was a brutal subject. But I used this, and I would flash this on the screen. Regardless of what we think, God is the final judge, and he will do right, Genesis 18.25. Barry and I are going to be talking today about an academic pursuit. He and I... He and I are in agreement. I can't speak for him, but 
I'm dogmatic in my agreement. I feel like I'm right, and if you hold an opposing view from me, then I feel like you're wrong. I believe that in my core. I'm convicted about this. So we're going to be presenting this in a very final way. However, you do not have to hold this view. This is not a view that you have to agree with us on, and this is not a, this is not a view that should, should ever drive a wedge between Christians as far as a matter of fellowship. I'm, I'm Barry, do you agree with that? Yes. Good. Okay, good, good. I should have asked you that before I did that whole deal. That's all right. All right. Um, Connie Barden, hello. Raymond Oshley, good to see you. Danny Cummings. And, of course, John Exum. Did Eli Manning play for the Giants, the Nephilim? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> all right. Barry, I told yep. you uh, f- Friday or whenever I asked you to be on the show, that I wanted to, well, first off, I guess we need to define what the view is that we oppose. Okay. Do you have that in your in your head? Well, so in regard to the Nephilim, you know, we go to Genesis chapter 6, and we read about the giants. And I, I suppose where, where we agree is the uh, the view that these are fallen angels. Is that what you're talking about? No, we agree that they're fallen angels? No, we agree that they're not fallen angels. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You and I agree that they are not fallen angels. I don't know if I said that wrong, but yes, we agree that they're not. Yes. But that is one of the views. I'm familiar, and I don't know about you, Tony, but I'm familiar with three particular views, but I think that one is demonstrably false. Yes. So I, I, I may not be familiar with the nuance of the other two. I thought there was just... You either agreed that the Nephilim were the progeny of fallen angels that procreated with human women, mm. or you believe that the sons of God were not fallen angels, that they were simply uh, worship, you know, worshipers um, of God, worshipers of God, followers of God is what I was yeah. getting at. I don't know why I'm struggling here. I need to, I got my Esau and looking around the text. So let me just read this. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair and they took them wives, all of which they chose. So the view that I'm familiar with is the sons of God are angels or the sons of God are faithful men. Mm-hmm. The daughters of men the 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 two views is if you believe the sons of God are angels, then the daughters of men simply denotes a human being. Right. But if you believe that the sons of God are faithful men, then the daughters of men would denote daughters born of men who had gone off into apostasy, mm-hmm. who had left God's fold yeah. in the long ago. And I think it's kind of one of the views is that it's kind of connected to the end of Genesis 4 with the line of Seth. And at this time, men begin to call upon the name of the Lord and right. have a, like a departure from that or a or a maintaining with that line. Okay, gotcha. Makes sense. Well, what is the, so is that part of the line of so that third part? No, the third part is because I did a, <laughs> I actually did a podcast on this a few weeks ago. Not not necessarily on this, but okay. on 
on more like defining sons of God throughout Scripture. Ah, gotcha. The third view is that they are, like from Genesis chapter 14, kings of various nations, that they were like prominent ruling individuals in the world. That the sons of God are? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. I can see that. Well, okay, so truly and really, yeah, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of difference between the two. We're going to say the mystic versus the, or we're going to say the natural versus the supernatural. Yeah, I'm not using those terms in a pejorative way. We just got to have some nomenclature to differentiate them easily. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into, by the way, uh, the rest of this, Angela Noba asked, "Who were Cain's wife's parents?" I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because there's not a lot of information, but. I think from what we can reasonably ascertain in the scriptures, I'll put my neck out there. I think Cain's wife's parents are Adam and Eve mm. or descendants of such. Yeah. Descent like they, they would have to be, you know, because by the time Cain by the time Cain took a wife, we I'm sure that there were many other sons and daughters of Adam on the on the earth, and they would have had to be of the same progeny. I mean, they were blood related and that kind of icky to us today, but. Well, there's a whole lot of stuff to consider in that answer. I I agree with you by the way, but in terms of like pre-flood humanity, pre-flood, what genetic purity, you know, we couldn't get by with that today. No, I think, I think pre-flood pre, what would you say? Pre, uh, the antediluvian. Yeah, the antediluvian world, antediluvian world. Yeah, your genetic makeup, life expectancy, so many things are need to be considered. I, I think, because I'm a scientist and I know things, that was sarcasm. I think that whenever, I, I think before the flood, there was a vapor canopy around the world. That, that And once the flood happened, we, we got bombarded with this solar radiation and mm. stuff like that. So yeah, our life expectancy greatly shortened. God separated the waters that were below the firmament from the waters that were above the firmament. That's it. There's something and, different about that world. And uh, you, Peter, Peter talks about it. Yeah. Um, the earth that was in the flood and out of the flood. Yes. The or world the water that then the was perished. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah, definitely proven that they were descendants from Adam and Eve. No other place that is talked about to narrow anything else down as far mm. as the the parents of Cain's wife. And uh, Connie Barnes says, I've heard that the sons of God are descendants of Seth and the daughters of men were from Cain. I think that's, yeah, that's, again, I don't know that I would, I don't know that I could sign off on that, but that makes more sense to me than, they were fallen angels, like of the supernatural sort. Mm, yeah. So for this, for the topic of this conversation, uh, we're going to at least for this podcast offer to make the case, attempt to make the case that regardless of who they are, they are not fallen angels. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah. I told you that on air, and I didn't want to tell you at the time because I wanted you to hear this fresh that grammatically just the 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 syntax of 
how this is laid out grammatically in this text. It cannot be. It's a logical absurdity to say that the Nephilim were the progeny of supernatural angels and physical humans while also, well, you, you just can't say that. Like, I, it's a logical absurdity. Let me, yeah. let, me, let me flesh this out. Okay. All right. I'm going to read this from the King James first, okay? And then we're going to look at some other, other translations. So, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth that daughter, and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives with all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Verse 4 is the key verse in this. this is, listen to this grammar. There were giants, that's Nephilim, in the earth in those days, and also after that, but then we have an adverb of time. When were there giants in the earth? Well, they were, and good usage earlier of the word extant. The Nephilim were extant, grammatically speaking, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bare children with them. The implication is before the first progeny of a son of of God and daughter of man was extant, the sons of God, or the giants, rather, were extant. Mm -hmm. So they cannot be, this, this, this doesn't work. You cannot say, well, the giants in the earth were the progeny of supernatural angels and humans. Well, then, then, the grammar says that they were already in the earth before the phenomenon that you say that it took to create them. Yeah. That I've never, I guess the way I would respond to that is I knew, I know what you're saying, but I've never like articulated it that way. Yeah. Oh, it blew I've got my other mind. Reasons that I agree with you. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. But, but to me, all of this other stuff, you've got to get past this hurdle first of the grammar. Yes, absolutely. So listen to, the, listen to the ISV. Okay. The Nephilim were on the earth at that time and also immediately afterward. Hmm. When those divine beings were having sexual relations with those human women. Well, the, the New King James says that. Then there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward. And also comes. afterward. Yeah. Um, check out Young's literal trans. Uh, check out Young's literal translation. All right. Incidentally, hello to everybody. We've got so many people watching. This is such a huge podcast, evidently. Uh, thank you so much. And please, y'all, like, subscribe, and share. And let's get even more people in here. And uh, Alfredo Martinez, I, I agree with you 100%. Angels can't procreate. Well, so there's some things when talking about this, Barry. I, mm. I slice with Occam's razor. There's some things you have to assume. And one of those things you have to assume is that supernatural 
supernatural beings could actually procreate with natural beings. Yeah. And if they can, you've got to further assume that supernatural power would be endued to the fetus through natural biological mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And nowhere in Scripture is supernatural power endued to a biological entity except through uh, bathing of the Holy Ghost or the presence directly of the Holy Ghost. Well, and another thing to think about, and I had never really, until you said it that way, I'd never really thought about it this way, but, okay, so if they did produce or reproduce and they and their progeny does contain, how would you say it? Uh, what, divine DNA? I don't know. Then how was David able to subdue them? What is it, First Chronicles 20 that talks about David destroying all the all the uh, descendants of the giants? How was he well, able to do that? Well, what word is used there? Because we're, we haven't even gotten it. There's two words that's translated giants in the scriptures. Yeah. And I'm going to make the case that the word Nephilim is used whenever metaphysics is in consideration. And the word Rapham or Rapha, Rapha and whatever other cognate of yeah. that yeah. is used whenever physical attributes are in consideration. Mm. All right. So what, what word in First Chronicles there does David use? And while you're finding that, listen to this. This is Young's literal translation. The fallen ones were in the earth in those days and even afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they were born to them. They are, are the heroes who from old are men of fame. Again, grammatically, it is impossible. It, it's, it's almost like saying, well, the Nephilim are the progeny of these two species, but the Nephilim were also in the earth before these two species procreated. Yeah, that's a problem. It's like, well, we'll say my son is Anthony. It would be like saying Anthony was in the earth in those days and even afterwards when his father, Tony, came into his mother and he was born to them. Yeah. Okay, so in First Chronicles 20, it's verse... Six says yet again there was a war at Gath and it's it's like the giants. I'm holding my phone here because my Bible app. The, yeah. Okay, so we always think of Goliath, or I always think of Goliath. Yes. And Gath, you know, Ashkelon, the the land of the Philistines down there, kind of what would that be? South and west of yeah Jerusalem. And, and uh, what verse is that in First Chronicles twenty? I'm sorry, First Chronicles twenty and verse six. So there's war at Gath, which is. Philistine, Philistine land, where there was a man of great stature with 24 fingers and toes, six on each hand and foot. Uh, he was also born to, and it says the giant. I've always assumed that to mean Goliath. because well, It could be, but here's the thing. The, under consideration, here's not the Nephilim. It's the Rephaim, yeah. Yes. Right. That's the other word that's translated as giant. Rephaim. Mm -hmm. that, that's the noun. The, well, well, here, yeah. Yeah, this is a, uh, is, is it a noun here? Yes, yeah, a noun. It's a proper tribe. Proper. Yes. Proper. Proper noun. Yes. Yeah. See, and it's another thing with Occam's Razor. You have to assume that either in order for if the giants pre-flood or post-flood are the same giants as those pre-flood, or you have to assume either they're different giants 
mm. or the fallen angels, and this is the problem with this view, because people that hold this view that supernatural entities had had relations with natural entities and produced the Nephilim, and that triggered the flood. <laughs> that That's the doctrine, okay? Yeah. Well, there's just one problem. They're still in the earth after the flood. Yeah. So you have to assume either God didn't destroy them or the that's fallen true. angels come and did it again. That That's a good point, yeah. Because who survived the flood? Well, according to the scripture, it was Noah and his family ate souls and then the animals on the ark. Mm. And well, there's, there's I, the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing in the, and I'm so, we got so many comments. It's amazing. Um, mm. Yeah. The giants are plural in 1 Corinthians 20. Yeah, but that's Raphael. Uh, doesn't also, hold on a second. Let me see if I can put this. Right there. Uh, Connie, good question. Doesn't also Nephilim, she's speaking of, just mean mighty men? So the answer is, and the problem is nobody can see me, or you might not be able to see this, but the answer is yes. You notice I said yes, but I'm shaking my head no. Yeah. It doesn't really mean mighty men. But it, there, that you can, you can, you can definitely use it for that. I guess I, uh, I'll go to, I use my trusty rusty Esau and go back to Genesis six, and I'll, I'll give a definition of that term. Um, it, it fellers of men would be good. Yeah. Um, men who, in other words, not in the South, we say, hey, Barry Odell's a pretty good feller, <laughs> meaning that that's just a colloquialism for. F-E-L-L-O-W. But this actually is F-E-L-L-E-R, feller. So when you chop a tree down, that tree has been, it, it, it lays down and then you chop it up. It, it, you fell the tree. Yeah. Um. But anyway, and it came about to, 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 to six, four, giants. All right. Nephilim, uh, a feller that is a bully or a tyrant. And, and really, this is pejorative. Like yeah. this is this is not good, and that's another thing with the difference between Nephilim and Raph. How how'd you pronounce that? I just say Rephaim. Rephaim. We're going to say Rephaim. That's not. I don't think that's technically true, but you know, it's kind of like some of those Bible names. We don't know what their mama called them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, it seems to me that the Nephilim it's always bad, and then Raphaim. It's either neutral or a good thing. Like you, you're speaking of somebody in a, in a good way. There's one, let me see here. This is Deuteronomy 3 and verse 11. Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. That's yep. Rapha, Raphael. That's it. And he, uh, you know, it talks about the size of his bed. Yeah. What is it? Nine cubits in length and four cubits in width. So unequivocally, that's physical attributes are being talked about. Yes. Yeah, that was yeah. That's what and, I was. And incidentally, um, giant is. I, I, th I was watching Tim Pool, and Tim Pool went to um, China or Japan. Well, Tim Pool, I think, is like five ten, and he said he was like six or eight inches taller than everybody else. 
he described himself as a giant. Yeah. But then he went to Sweden where everybody, the average size is six foot tall. And they were giants. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's modern day Gulliver's travels. <laughs> you know, Lili, Li, I can't remember the Lilliputians and the other. But on one island, he was a giant. On the other, he was a, um, he was a small fella. Um, Scott Beck's got a good question here. Tony and Barry, could you expand on Job 1 6? Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. I fully believe, and I'm going to answer this first and stick my neck out on the line because Barry may not agree with this and he may not have even thought about it. I don't believe supernatural angels are under consideration here. I believe it's uh, godly men on this day came before the Lord to present themselves, and they would have done it with sacrifice, just like on the day of the Lord in the new covenant, on Sunday, we come together, the sons of God come together to present themselves to, to the Lord. And at this present time, Satan came among them. I do not believe for one minute that Satan was actually in heaven, the very throne room of God, speaking to God. And it's, I have a tendency to demystify the Bible. And because I do that, then I have a, a greater responsibility for when there is supernatural occurrence in the Bible, I have to, I have to double down on it all the more. I mean, like I've got to be honest with it, but, but I think, I don't, I don't think the sons of God here, it's at least viable and reasonable to interpret this as these are just faithful men. Can I disagree with you? Oh, you sure can. <laughs> then why wasn't Job there? Well, we don't know that he wasn't. That's true. Well, and my <clears throat> my reasoning is... Because God and Satan would have been speaking in the... Like, God is with us whenever we come before him for worship. True. But we can't see him. Right. And if he's talking to his son about us, then we wouldn't hear it. True. So it's very possible that God is among these people and Satan comes among them in the in the med, in the ethereal region, which he hasn't been thrown in the bottomless pit, bound with a chain at this time. Yeah. So he's probably able to do. And so, hey, if you consider my servant Job, well, that's I don't. Uh oh. <laughs> okay. You. I thought you'd froze. No, well, I did. <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking. <laughs> uh. Have I winkled your brain? Well, I don't disagree with you, but I don't agree with you either. And that that's, that's absolutely fine. This is, yeah. this is a purely academic pursuit. Yeah, and what you said makes sense. So I'm thinking, um, I'm trying to remember, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I think the phrase sons of God appears three times in Job, and that's kind of, that's why I disagree with you initially. Yeah. We have that phrase three times, and the other time, is in Job 2, and then what is it? Is it Job 38, talking about creation? The sons of God shouted for joy when the yeah. foundations of the world. So that's, and I guess that's a, I would call that a more traditional view. It, it is. Doesn't mean it's right, but that's just sure. the view I've always taken. But what you say makes sense too. Yeah, so at the very least, if 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 we can look at this and we say, Job 1.6 does not demand supernatural entities. Yeah. then it's at least plausible to consider it from the other side 
But that also means then that Genesis 6-4 does not demand, or 6 in the beginning, the sons of yes. God, does yes. not demand supernatural entities, well, which so means what, there's room for discussion. Yeah, so that, and that's what I was going to say there. When I did my video on this a couple of weeks ago, I just called this a, it's a contextual phrase. Yeah. It, it doesn't context, mean one thing all the time. It. Yeah. Yeah, the, the context absolutely defines it. Um. Let me go. There, there's an article. Uh, there, there's, there's. I, I don't look. I'm not going to link this. I'm not going to tell you where I got the article. I'll send it to you if you want me to. But this article is uh, the sons of God never refers to angels, and they they take a pretty hard stance and they look at all the occurrences where sons of God are put. And like for for instance, in uh, in John 12. In John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, yeah. you know, even to them that believe on his name. Well, now that would be in Greek. That's not in Hebrew. So mm -hmm. Nephilim is not under consideration or Ben, Ben I Elohim is not under consideration. I misspoke when I said Nephilim. I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, like obviously, Jesus didn't give me the power to become an angel. So right. this would be contextually sons of God. Um, Romans 8, 14 uh, and 19, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's self-explanatory for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. I, again, I think that's the manifestation of Christianity mm. and whatever, whatever that entails, however you want to interpret Romans eight there. Well, um, and, your view there on Job one six, I'm just I'm still playing it in my head. Yeah, you know, you think about it. Well, one of the verses I thought of as you started talking about that was like Hebrews chapter one. Um, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke to the fathers by the prophets. Yeah, you know, God had a variety of means of communication to His sons throughout the ages, and that's so. That's a viable position, I would say. Yes, and, and like I said, it, so. Let's say you vehemently disagree with my position, but you're you're saying that it's viable. That means the text doesn't demand it. Yeah. Therefore, like you said, it's a contextual phrase. So then in Genesis chapter 6, the text doesn't demand. Because I've talked to people, Barry, that say, well, the text demands. Yeah. No, it doesn't demand it at all. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what this guy wrote about the, the instances in Job. Uh, Job 1, 6, of course, faithful worshipers of God, of which Job is one, come before God, though physically still on earth, to worship him. And Satan comes in among them, as he always does, looking for a way to tempt them away from God. God knows Job's heart and singles him out as an example of a faithful. Uh, and who knows that he might single him out to divert Satan's attention away from the weaker men, saving those men as well. It's a conjecture, pure conjecture. But Satan takes every physical thing away from Job, save his wife, and then Job in the next chapter is right back presenting himself before Jehovah, worshiping him faithfully. And then the number two verse there, uh, the more popular scenario and one that makes no... Oh, hold on a second. I want to see... Oh, never mind. Uh, verse 38, 7. 
when the morning star sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Mm, yeah. All right, here, here's what he says about this. The last objection is usually found here in Job 38, 7, where Jehovah is recounting to Job all the wondrous things God had done and who was Job to question God. It is assumed with the phrase morning stars and sons of God both are references to angels. My question again is why? When the immediate or remote context makes this demand, or what in the immediate or remote context makes this demand, the only other reference to morning stars is Lucifer, the day star, and Jesus. Um, again, I, you see what I mean when I say I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to endorse this fella. Um, but within the timeline of Job 38, we have a natural flow from creation to the flood. If we use what he says is the correct understanding that the morning stars are the earlier rulers of men on the earth, and the sons of God are the faithful of the line of Seth before the flood, then we find consistency throughout Scripture instead of something that is only in this one and complete aberrant use of the phrase. Of course, he's assuming that it's a one and only aberrant use of the phrase, but still. It also further supports and harmonizes with the more consistent scenario in uh, Job 1 and 2. Well, and again, you know, thinking back to thinking back to scripture because that and here's another thing too. Okay, so like the question that came up earlier, well, who were what was the question? Who were Cain's parents? Yes. There is a lot that scripture doesn't record for us. That's it. Like in terms of Cain's parents, you have this phrase early on in Genesis a couple of times in the process of time. We don't know how much time. We don't know what happened between here and there. And so to speculate definitively on that would be just that. It'd be a speculation. Yeah. Um, so like the early chapters of Genesis, well, you have God meeting with Adam and Eve in the garden. You have God yep. speaking directly with Cain after he's murdered Abel. And, yep. you know, all those early chapters, you have that what we call the patriarchal age where God seemed, and, and Job would be included in that period of time, the patriarchal age, I don't think we can precisely date it, but uh, that's, to me, even more so than the Mosaic Age, because in, in the Mosaic Age, you have a you have a codified system. You know, it's written down. You can copy it, whereas it seems like in the patriarchal, you don't have that. God that's directly it. communicates to people, essentially all the way up to Exodus chapter 20, when the yeah. law is given. So... It, it's a like I said earlier. It's I think what you said about Job one is a certainly a viable position. Yeah. Um, so I, I like what Alf, Alfredo Martinez says here. Only humans are able to procreate with humans. Mm. If we entertain the idea that angels somehow were able to procreate with humans, then tons of ideas and arguments arise. All was created by him and for him, and each has a specific purpose but man was the only creation that was created in his likeness and image. That's my understanding. I think you have, I think you're understanding it quite well. Mm -hmm. And again, that, that's why I cut this with an Occam's razor. Uh oh, where you are? There you are. Uh, that's why I cut this with Occam's razor. Occam's razor simply is the conclusion that you draw with the least amount of assumptions is more than likely the correct, 
the correct conclusion. Now, that's been distilled down to the simplest answer is usually the right answer. But think about all of the stuff that you have to assume in order to get angels procreating with humans to make super beast. Yeah. First off, again, I'm going to go through it again. Number one, you have to assume that angels did it in the first place because the text does not demand it. You have to assume that angels were able to do it. And I think Alfredo hits on a good, can I, can I mix? I mean, you can't mix a uh, 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 orange and a lemon at the level of the seed. Mm. Now you can, you can, I don't know. You can hybridize these things. You can do a lot of stuff, but it's got to have third party. Like you can have an orange tree and you can have a lemon tree in your yard. And they can release their pollen into the air, and you still have oranges and you still have lemons. Well, I'm teaching through Genesis 1 right now. And in the beginning, God created this law that each would produce after its own kind. That's it. And then you have, it's Psalm chapter 8. God made man a little lower than the angels. Jesus became a little lower. We are a different, the way I say it, and you may have a better way of saying it, but Angels and humans are different classes of being. So it, it would yes. you would kind of have to assume some like evolutionary thinking because evolution tells us that one kind can become another. Yes. And, and scripture clearly states, and well, not just scripture, science itself tells you that no, one kind does not become another kind. That's right. And, and there's no compatibility in reproduction. And if mankind, if a third party entity ever messes with it, it mm. can never be reproduced exactly. naturally. Well, okay, so you're a horse guy, all right? Yes. Um, you know, you can mix horses and zebras. Have you ever seen a zorse? I have. But you can't mix an equine and a bovine. No. A horse and a, it just doesn't work. So no. to me, that kind of And incidentally, with that issue. whenever you mix a zebra and a horse, the progeny is now a totally different ontological category. Mm -hmm. It is, which, which would... What if Genesis six is supernatural angels procreating with natural men, women rather, then yes, you would have to have something called a Nephilim. But a Nephilim, but, but so you take a we'll take a horse and a donkey. Yeah. So a, a jack covers a mare and you get a donkey, one of the greatest equine specimens known to man, George Washington. He was responsible for mules in the United States. A, a lot of people lay that at his feet. Mules are wonderful. They're much better than horses. But you can't breed a mule back to a mare no. because it's not compatible. Mm. They don't produce viable offspring. They're too different. Yeah. And I think, I, I don't know if uh, ligers can reproduce, but lions breeding with tigers, they're, they're a hybrid. They don't, produce a, they don't produce viable offspring. Yeah. So if it happened... It would have to, you would have to, in order to keep it up, it would have to keep happening. Mm. Like you don't have a sixth generation mule. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah, impossible. As far as I know, all those, you mentioned a liger, zorse. You can mix a camel and a llama. You get a camma. As far as yeah. I know, all of those products are sterile. So yes. That's, that's Th the there, there's, 
look, you can you can find on the far reaches of the internet people who claim, but that's kind of like finding somebody that's been raised from the dead. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I ha- I've never seen it, but my my buddy's second cousin's girlfriend, he was married to a woman back in 1985 who remembered a person telling her about somebody that he knew that knew of somebody that saw it. Yeah. That, that's what you get when you talk about viable offspring yeah. that are hybrids. Connie Barden, I have never ridden a good horse that was also ugly. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how ugly it is. A good horse is always the most beautiful one in the herd, if that makes any sense at all. A lot of times folks will say, well, I want a good, pal- I want a Palomina horse. I want a, I want a, um, I want a buckskin horse. I'm like, okay, I just want a good horse. I've never ridden a good horse. It was a bad color. <laughs> and well, with mules, let me tell you something, a good mule, I don't care how ugly they are. They're, they're better than the most beautiful horses. All right, we're done. Uh, this, the, thus ends the. Connie, consider yourself thoroughly admonished. All right. Um, (laughs) Terry Crooks. Is it that Satan was standing? Whoops. Hold on. Where is it at? It jumped, Barry. Yeah, I can see it. Would you read it, please? Is it that Satan was standing before the Lord in the spirit realm while the sons of God were in the earthly realm, given that God is omnipresent? Ah, let me feel that one scene. that's That's my. Take it away. Am I nuts? Where is that comp? There it is. Yeah, others just um, keep coming in, so there you go. So the the answer is it could be either one. Think about it. Satan could be in the earth, and he could be in amongst these men that have come. Maybe they've come to a high place to worship. Maybe they're gathered. To me, it makes more sense if Satan is in the ethereal region, Okay and him and God are speaking. But that Satan, in other words, we come before God, and we're in in the ethereal region whenever we worship on Sunday. And according to Hebrews chapter 10, we actually, by the way that's paved through the veil, come before the very throne room of God. But that's not literal. Like, heaven is a literal place, but we're just not there yet. Hmm. You can you can use metaphorical language that you know, and and the sons of God came before came and presented themselves before God. Well, how do we know that metaphysically God was meeting them at the throne room? Because the way had not been paved. Maybe they're not able to come to the throne room yet. So maybe God had to step out where they could be met. I don't know. I mean, we're. We're getting into Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. Well, and the fact is, we know that God did do that in times yes, past. The, exactly. He went to see Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, second member of the God, which here's the, I'm going to throw another wrench at you. Hmm. Anytime you see humans and God interacting with one another, I believe in my heart of hearts is the second member of the Godhead. Hmm. I tend now, to agree with that too. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean that I think that whenever the sons of God came to present themselves before God in Job 1, that that was the second member of the Godhead. I think it was all three. 
and they were just there. And but Satan was among them. And how was he among them? This this article that I read thinks that he was among them physically, but because of his ethereal nature, was able to speak to God through the in the ethereal realm. So again, <laughs> we, well, here's a question. Okay, so we know you, that angels could manifest themselves as humans, men. Yeah, yeah. What is that? Genesis 19. Yeah, well, I, I'm that, that's absolutely correct. But also, uh, um, Gabriel to what? Well, yeah. oh, hold on, was it Gabriel that came to uh, Daniel Cornelius? Oh, I don't know who came to Cornelius. I think just an angel did. Okay, well, the angel that came to Cornelius looked like a man. Yeah. Well, in the when Mary and the women got to the tomb, looked like man. Yeah. So, what what was I going to say? Tony. So all that is the case, but I don't think, well, they could manifest themselves in that way. They're not, yes. they're not physical beings. Right. That, yeah, and, and here's the thing. It also doesn't mean that they're corporeal just because they can manifest. Right. They don't have a body necessarily. No, because think about in, uh, whenever Jesus was baptized, the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit has never, ever presented in corporeal form. However, when I say corporeal form, Jesus presented in corporeal form. He 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 was he was he he. It's a weird nomenclature. He was a body. Yeah, he took on flesh. Yes. You and I don't need to think of ourselves as souls inside a body. We are our bodies. In fact, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul, First Thessalonians five twenty four. So he prayed, "The Lord sanctify you holy." Mind, that's your soul, body, and spirit. We're triune beings, folks, just like God is triune. But anyway, um, the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove, or the the form was as a dove. Right. Well, that doesn't mean that he had feathers. That doesn't mean he had blood and a body. It just means he coalesced and the shape was a dove. Yeah. So this angel that appeared to Cornelius coalesced and looked like a man. These angels that went to the, um, was was Lot and Sodom or Gomorrah. I, I, I promise you I've read the Bible once. I can't remember what city of the plain so, uh, Lot was in. I want to say Gomorrah. I'm thinking so. But anyway, mm. um, they appeared as men. But that doesn't mean they were flesh and blood. Right. And that's another thing. You've got to assume that angels are flesh and blood and actually possess the DNA to be able to procreate. Mm. Because if they're not flesh and blood and they don't possess the DNA to procreate, to to procreate with humans, then what do you have? You have spiritual conception, miraculous conception, and truly, and really, that's only ever supposed to have happened one time. Mm, yeah. With Jesus. And, and I will tell you right now, you're wrong. And so was I. It was Uh-oh. in Sodom, not Gomorrah. <laughs> well, we had a 50-50 chance. Well, sometimes the best thing to do is just look and see what the Bible says. I know. I know. Sometimes. Um, the cool thing, though, again, with the assumptions. So what did we say you had to assume? You had to assume that they would even do it. You have to assume, because the text doesn't demand it. You'd have to assume that they're able to do it. You have to assume 
that um, they possess the ability to do it. They possess DNA. And three, you have to assume that spiritual power can be transferred through a holy, W-H-O, holy, not, not holy like the Lord, but holy, a holy physical process, biological phenomenon. Mm. And Jesus did not have any special spiritual abilities until he was endued with power from the Holy Ghost at his baptism. Yeah. So even even he had to be kickstarted. Now, well, granted, he. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh well, he, he was he was still the the incarnate Word, so he he had his attribute of deity. He was omniscient. I think that's why he was able to see. Um, who was it? Was was it Nathan that was sitting under the tree? Yeah. You know, the first miracle isn't till Cana of Galilee. Right. But it was miraculous in that this was supernatural that he understood. Um, he understood that Nathan was sitting under a tree before Nathan ever came to him. Yeah. Well, Acts 10, 38 tells you right out that God anointed with him, him with the Holy Spirit and he went about doing good, healing the sick and yeah. those who were possessed of the devil. So yep. that's pretty... Clear cut. I think. May I postulate something here? You sure can. So, okay. So back to Nephilim and Rephaim, and I, and I was actually thinking about this this morning. You know, you called me the other day, and we talked a little bit. Here's a thought I have because I've encountered this with writers in the past: is they will pick up on a word that is, they'll use a word when they're writing in English repeatedly but they never translate it into the English. And it's like it's kind of mysterious yeah. to them, and they love talking about, for instance, I know this one writer, and you may know what this word means. I don't know about viewers, but he loves to write about God's chesed. <laughs> okay. You don't, you're not a Jew. You don't speak Hebrew. I know. Just tell us what it means. Yeah. Okay. So I think sometimes that kind of thing happens with the Nephilim and the Rephaim. We wanna, it really does. It's it's like a like you were saying early on in the video an academic pursuit, but people kind of want to sound a little bit smarter than they are. Yeah, and well, I think so. Were you going to go to Numbers thirteen at all today? Yes, actually, okay. because well, I, I think that's I think that proves not proves I, I shouldn't say prove, but I think that corroborates our view. Yes, um, so I'll just wait for that then. Okay, let me let me get a couple questions here. One, uh, first off, let me go back up here. Um. Excellent. Yeah, some some DNA alterations that could have been carried on by maybe one of Noah's sons and daughters, like gene splicing and cloning GMO. I, ben, I have no idea. Um, I don't think that was what happened. I, I just I think that's too complicated for what the Bible was communicating. It's just these sons of God were were uh, sons of godly humans and. They saw those women, and they liked them. Oh, I heard somebody say, Barry, that these these, Nephil, these Nephilim, these men of renown, mm -hmm. because the sons of God were going after these more wicked, the, these daughters of men who were not following God, that the, um, the Nephilim, the reason that they were fellers they were tyrants. They were aggressive, you know, ultra testosterone, this, that, and the other. 
conquerors. It's because of uh, they were eating meat and everybody else was vegetables only. All right. I like Okay, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think you have to bring in more to explain this than yeah. than just what's in the text. Yeah, it it can get pretty complicated. I guarantee it. Um, but all right, so we got some we got some good comments here. Um, this what was Satan a fallen angel? I one hundred believe one hundred percent believe that Satan was a fallen angel. Um. John poses the question, if so, then would that mean that sin could take place in heaven? If the angels are under a law and the angels have free will, then the angels can sin. You and I, when we get to heaven, according to my understanding of the new heaven and the new earth, the the this, I, I don't, don't take, don't, that's semantically overloaded. Don't take more from that than I intend. <laughs> In the afterlife, mm. there's nothing that can harm or defile us because the law that we're going to be under is evidently, we're, we're not going to, like, what, what would we, what would we do to be able to sin? Yeah. Like, obviously, we're still going to have free will in heaven. But evidently, it's going to be set up in such a way. But you know, we might not have any more physical. We're going to be different kinds of beings. So, you know, if I'm, I'm what what's you know, the sinning is falling prey to the lust of the flesh. We're not going to be again. Don't take more from this than what is. We are going to have a body, just like the body Jesus had when he was resurrected. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. Yeah. Jesus was able to eat. Jesus was able to be touched. Jesus was was able to feel. So we he had a body, a biological organism, but it was fit for an eternal existence. You and I are going to be biological organisms with DNA that's exactly the same as what it is now, but it's just going to be fit for uh, an eternal existence in the spiritual realm. So we might not have that desire to procreate. I mean, that's, you know, a lot of sexual sin in this world, and that's what, you know, that, that's that's the biggest one, really. It's a, a man commits a whole lot of sin because he wants to procreate. Well, I guess in direct answer to his question, yes, because Second Peter 2, 4 says it. Well, if yeah. God, for if God spared not the angels who sinned, well, good point. Where, you know, good point. What could we want for once we get to heaven? And and that's another way. I'm mean, like, e- even if we did, okay. So I do not believe this. Okay, this is a for instance. If heaven is just go back to your body when it's in prime physical health, and you're walking around with no aches, no pains, but you still have all of the same needs and stuff. But in heaven, you're just going not going to want for anything because it's all going to be taken care of. It's all going to be, um, you're, everything's going to be provided for you. Uh, Alfredo Martinez says, we are no longer going to be flesh and blood. My friend, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
If we're flesh and blood now, we're going to be flesh and blood then. Well, Jesus says in Luke 23, he said, touch me. He said, yeah. a, what, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone like I have. That's right. He that's has flesh and bones. Yeah. If he has flesh and bones, we're going to have flesh and bones. In terms now, of, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, the, the the illustration I use is the same one Paul uses. Yeah. You know, and, and without, please, I, I'm not saying this to you, um, sorry, Alfredo or anybody else, but Paul actually says, thou fool. Like, inevitably, somebody is going to be asked, well, how are the dead raised up and what, what body do they come? You fool, don't you know that when you plant a seed in the ground, what comes up, it's still the material of the seed, but it's different. Mm. Our body's going to be different. You put, an, you put a kernel of corn in the ground, what comes up? Well, you don't get an ear of corn. You get first, according to Mark 4, first you get the shoot, then the stalk, then the ear, then the corn in the ear. No. So it's the same material. The, the corn is made out of glucose and starch and fibers and stuff like that. Well, what is the shoot, stalk, ear, and other kernels made out of? Glucose. It's the same DNA. It's the same material. Yeah. It's Luke 24. I was wrong about 23. Luke 24, 39. Jesus says, uh, look at my hands, my feet. It's me. Handle me. And see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And that's and that's what Paul says in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Yeah. He, is, he was glorified, and we're going to have a, a body that will be glorified like his. Yes. Uh, Brandon Wild, I have um, – that, that's a – we can't get into that topic today. Is offing yourself murder? Um, I will tell you this. By the time a person gets to where they do that, they are not at all like that's that's not their biggest issue by the time they get to where they're capable of doing that. So um we can we can have a podcast where we can talk about that. But I appreciate your question, but we just we don't have enough time to get into that. We've already been here an hour. Alfredo says flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. My response is, my man, so what? That doesn't mean anything when you write it like that. That's, Paul's not saying flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God, as in you're not going to have a body. Paul's saying flesh and blood. If you're, if you're in the flesh, if you, you got to be born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. And, and when you read 1 Corinthians 15, there's a change. Like, Paul is very good with using play on words and stuff like that. And he's really good with nuance. And, and I'm telling you, it's when you, when you read that, we don't have enough time to get into it now, but when, when, when you read that, there's a, there's a shift where he's, he goes from talking uh, quite literally to this metaphoric idea of if you're not a Christian, then you're, your flesh and blood. We are spiritual people. Christians are. But people who are not Christians are flesh and blood. And just like just like your physical body, unless it is changed, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. you got to be born again. We've got to be born of water and the Spirit. But if you're only flesh and blood, 
you can't inherit the kingdom of God. I'd say that's probably a good way to conceptualize that. I don't know. What do you think, Barry? Yeah, and, and he goes on from first. That's what he referenced there is First Corinthians fifteen fifty. He says we're going to be changed in the blink of an eye in a moment. Yeah, and and it's interesting because that word moment is a Greek word that means it's it's going to be such a short period of time that you can't divide it. It's indivisible. Yeah. God will take care of it. I don't have to worry about it. That's it. That's it. And again, you know, he he even describes this is exactly with what body we come. You yeah. Know? And right after he calls the readers a fool for wondering. Yeah. Like, Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, Connie says, I don't believe we will have a body that can be cut and bleed. I don't know how we will have a different body, but I believe we will. I mean, well, John, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, We don't know what it'll be, but it'll be like his, for we shall see him as he is. Exactly. And he said, Jesus said, You got flesh and what? Bone. Flesh and bone. How, how do you, you know? I mean, is he a is he a zombie? Is there <laughs> not know, blood coursing through his veins? He could, he could have, the apostles when they were in a room with a locked door. Yeah, he could apparate. Yeah, of course. But he could also eat fish. I know. But anyway, all right. So back to numbers. Let's go to numbers and let's talk. Let's talk about this. Um, the Nephilim. Now, the word in Numbers is Nephilim. Yes. But again, remember, Raphael is used for the physic, the physical. Nephilim is used for the metaphysical. And I have a point from the grammar to make there. But but uh, Barry, take us there. Numbers thirteen. Yes. Uh, I've got verses thirty-one to thirty-three. Is that what you were going to read? That's the very like that's very end of the chapter there. Yes. Yeah, that's it. All right. But the so this is when the twelve have been to sent been sent to spy out the land for forty days. That's and it. This is their part of their response. But the men who had gone up with him, Caleb, we're not we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. I think that's key. And the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature, the New King James says. Mm -hmm. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, uh, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. It's Numbers 13, 31 to 33. That's it. Uh, there are some definite metaphysics going on there. They really are. Now, they're, they're talking about the men of... Anyway, I, I stepped all over you. I no. get excited talking about this. Finish your thought there from that. I was just... Well, so the word... And I'm, I'm looking at a New King James, but like in verse the end of verse 32, it says, all the people when we saw in, saw in it were of great stature. And that word statures, it's used throughout like the temple, the building of the tabernacle and temple, and it literally means measurements. Yes. That's... So we could look at these guys and like measure them with our eyes to see they're massive and they're big. Tell us. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you when when we think about that though, what was the average height of an Israelite, and and how big would the Israel or how how much bigger? So we'll, we'll say five and a half foot. So five foot six inches. Yeah. How much bigger 
would the uh, giants there have to be in order to be bigger, in order to be considered giants by them, in order to be described giants by yeah. them? Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm six foot. My, I, the last time I went to the doctor, he straightened my back and did the thing. I, he said I'm six foot two inches. I, I think he fudged an inch. I don't think I'm six foot two. I think I'm six foot one. But I will tell you this. What I've I know somebody that's six foot four. And he makes me feel little. Yeah. He makes me feel in fact, when I was training horses and buying and selling and all that, so a hand is four inches. So if a horse is fifteen hands, it's fifteen times four. That's sixty inches. That's five foot at his withers. All right. I went to see a lot of horses that people swore up and down were 16 hands tall, but they were 15, two or 15, three. Now you might think, well, Tony, that's not that big a difference. Contraire, an inch difference in height on a horse. It's not just height. It's actually an inch all around. You can take a horse that's a true 16 hand and you can stand it beside a horse that's 15 two, and that horse looks like a dinosaur compared to that horse that's 15 two. It is amazing the the how how the size different looks. Well, I was and, thinking about it like so my son plays basketball. He's yeah. just he's just he's like six foot and a half. Okay. I'm five ten, yeah. I weigh two hundred and thirty pounds. We watch the NBA. There are guys on that court that are, and this is not uncommon, seven foot six. Yeah. You know, seven foot two. Those guys would dwarf me. Yes. And my son, who's taller than me. Those guys are giants. That's that's Absolutely. just the way we describe people that are so much bigger. And, and like you say, it, it's even true with humans. It's not just the height. It's the breadth and the depth of yeah. the person that is two feet taller what, than What's you that guy, the mountain, Bjornsson? Oh yeah, that Thor, huge. Thor, Thor Bjornsson. Yeah, that's a he is an amazing specimen. He is. It's like no wonder that that people think that like that guy's got to be supernatural. I can see why people <laughs> in the long ago, when you get a specimen like him, yeah, like oh yeah, he's the descendants of a of a god. Yeah, well, and that's natural because it's not just muscle bulk; it's height and. Yeah. Girth, everything about him. He's just <laughs> Look, talking about having to eat some crow and showing your stupidity. I was talking to Tyler Jenkins, and, and we were talking about this guy, the Thor Bjornsson. I was like, yeah, I said, I've seen him. And I said, I just, from what he looks like on TV, I said, he looks real big. But I said, is he even strong? I said, I, I, I'll see how narrow his waist is compared to his shoulders. And Tyler goes, well, he 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 won the world's strongest man competition. Like I was like, oh well, there goes that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he is strong. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, it's like you you look at that guy. Well, even Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. Have you heard? Have you heard? Uh, have you ever heard Sylvester Stallone talk about him in an interview? Yes. What was that Rocky it, Four? Yeah. Yeah, he was like he he. It's unfair that somebody like him exists in the earth. Yeah. You know, somebody with that genetics. Uh, who, who, Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Could you imagine taking, taking 
a, a, a century of Brock Lesnar's, like a hundred Brock Lesnar's that are battle hardened, trained, and in armor, and setting them against a bunch of five foot six Jewish people. Yeah, the the response might be, uh, we were like grasshoppers. <laughs> yeah, and incidentally, well, well that's another. Th- this is the metaphysics right there. Listen to this. Yeah. So Jason Goldtrap, respectfully, you don't need to be saying that. That that that's that's rude. Uh, we are speaking where the Bible speaks. This is this is very reductive and and quite frankly disrespectful. Goliath was far beyond the size of a human. When the Bible the Bible says giants, let's speak where the Bible speaks. That that is a a, a pretty egregious accusation to level at, at Barry and me. We are speaking where the Bible speaks, and what we have shown in over an hour worth of content is the text does not always demand the word giant be in 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 consideration of size that there are actually two words that are used that are translated giant one of them is nephilim the other is raphaim is the noun but there's we can show you the other and while goliath yes he was a giant in size okay in genesis chapter six the word that is used is nephilim and that does not demand that size is used. That's speaking more of metaphysics. These people were giants in um, reputation, in their actions and in their deeds. They, these were men of renown. Men of that's what I was going to say. That phrase, men of renown. Yeah. and incidentally, who they were. That, that that's why Connie Barden said, "Doesn't it just mean mighty men?" Well, the reason I said yes and no is because. While the definition doesn't technically mean mighty men, I mean, what would you call people who are fellers of men, uh, their physical prowess, their men of renown? I mean, you'd call them mighty men. You'd sound like you'd, that's what you'd call them. But, but yeah, that, that is a gross oversimplification to just come in and tell us, well, you know, the Bible says giants, so we need to speak where the Bible speaks. I mean, the the Bible also says we're saved by grace through faith, and you're still telling people they need to be baptized. So you know what I mean. So we got to be careful of that. We got to we got to we got to speak where the Bible speaks, but we got to make sure we're considering the whole counsel of God. That's right. Nephilim and Raphael sounds like a a a good name for a couple of dogs. That's it. If Goliath was beyond the size of a human. That would imply he was not human, thus violating the law of procreation. <laughs> Jonathan, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, I think this comes from Robert Leedy. Uh, Nephil uh, occurrences three times. A feller that is a bully or a tyrant dash giant. Now, the reason the dash giant is there let me get this off the screen so we can see Barry, is uh, because that is a usage of the term, but the problem is there is a usage of the English term. Incidentally, around, I think it was 800 A.D., whenever the Vikings first set foot on European soil, do you know what the 
what the precursors to the Europeans of today called the Vikings when they first saw them? Starts with a G and ends with an ant. Hmm. They called them giants. <laughs> now, does that is that because of their stature or is that because of their reputation and ferocity? Was it a combination of all three? That's that's the thing. The the English word giants doesn't all again. Jonathan Exum put a comment about Andre the Giant and somebody else. They were actually giants, but they were also quote unquote giants. Well, Tony, have you ever heard of um, the preacher Andrew Connolly? <gasps> yes. Would you call him a giant in the faith? Absolutely. And he was like, what, six foot eight? <laughs> oh, I didn't know he was a giant in oh, his stature was, either. I remember there's a lecture where Brother Curtis Cates introduces him and the camera's down here and he's well, got Brother Cates. That's hilarious. And Andrew Connolly steps in and all you can see is his chest. You know? Yeah. So I was, going to use, zoom up on him. I was going to use Curtis Cates as an example. Yeah. Um, Curtis Cates was a, was a rather diminutive man. That means short. And he wasn't very big either. No, wasn't very big either. Uh, I used diminutive because Dan Cates, his son, described himself as diminutive. And I'm like, that's a good word. Anyway, Curtis Cates was a giant. Curtis Cates grew 10 feet whenever he preached. So, anyway. Yeah. Being great, he says, I believe Goliath was small in comparison to anything pre-flood, but still a giant in his time. I, 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 again, I have no, I have no way to even poke at that, Ben. I don't know. I'll poke uh, at it. We're told how tall he was. Well, yeah, we're nine feet, but he's talking about he's giant. In other words, Goliath was big for after the flood. Oh, gotcha. But was... Normal size, maybe pre-flood before the flood. Yeah, well, that that's gonna be true. And I mean, you know what? The thing about it is, before the flood, what if all humans were like nine feet tall? Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's the case. But the I mean, look at different. look at all the fossilized flora and fauna. Yeah. And 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 I say all the fault. We don't have a lot of it, but what we do is, it's all big, man. Why wouldn't humans proportionally be that much bigger? That's true. Incidentally, okay. Incidentally, um, I they're not very credible, but there have been reports of archaeological digs where larger then normal humans would be found, you know? So yeah. I don't know. That's a good, yeah. He now said I long, got the longer oh, go lifespans, higher oxygen levels. Yeah. There's something to that. There's no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the, with, I watched this guy on TikTok That's a third or fourth generation lobster fisherman. And I have learned way more about lobsters than I have ever endeavored to learn. And, Lobsters are functionally immortal. What kills them is they get so old that they stagnate and they don't eat enough. They don't consume enough food and they get too weak to molt. Hmm. But they're functionally immortal. 
And I thought that was really cool. Well, what what if you took a human being and put him and you took, well, I know what would happen if you took dogs and you put them in the perfect environment and you took, you could take two chihuahuas and you could take, you know, well, you say two chihuahuas. That's not true. You, let's say you take 10 pairs of, of chihuahuas that are genetically dissimilar from one another as far as being related. And how many generations would it take for you to have a dog that's 25 or 30 pounds? Wouldn't take very many. You just keep breeding your biggest chihuahuas back. Yeah. Now, let's move them back thousands of years before the sun was baking us. And, and the, it was, you know, I mean, who knows? Who knows what the world looked like? Yeah. Giants also had some deformities per First Chronicles. Yet again, there was at war with, at Gath where there was a man of great stature with 24 fingers and toes on each foot. Uh, and, oh, six on each hand and six on each foot. So I say that'd be rough. It was 24 on each hand. Yeah, that's First Chronicles 20 and verse 6 that yeah. we referenced earlier. <laughs> Two chihuahuas make half a dog. <laughs> Got that right. <laughs> little yapping suckers. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Barry, is there anything? So, the, the thing about it is, remember, you don't have to agree with what we're saying. All right, but if you're gonna if you're gonna teach that these Nephilim were the progeny of the uh, supernatural angels and natural humans then the very first hurdle that you have to get past is the grammar of um, Genesis chapter 6, all right? And this is important enough. I'm going to go back to it on my trusty, rusty e-sword. Uh, Genesis 6, starting in verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days. So there were Nephilim in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and bare unto them children of them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So you have to explain what were the Nephilim before the supernatural angels came in to the human women. So you got to answer that question. What were they? Yep. It just falls apart. Mm. It, you, you can't get past that hurdle. You cannot offer an explanation of that hurdle. Now, and again, I, I'm going to go back to the assumption. What do you have to assume? Well, first off, you have to get past the grammar of Genesis 6-4. If you ignore that, then you have to, well, here's the assumption that you're, that you're thinking is based on. You have to, because there's no biblical proof for this whatsoever, you have to assume that the, how, how do they pronounce Ben Elohim, the sons of God, were supernatural angels. You, had, you have to assume that they would actually procreate, like they have the ability, just the, the, the parts, okay, to procreate. You have to assume that the offspring, that, 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 that it would actually make a child. You have to assume that 
spiritual or or the vigor of deity, not when well, deity wouldn't be right. You have to assume that divine vigor would be passed to the child. Yeah. And you you'd have to assume that the that, that they that they were able to possess corporeal bodies. That's just too many assumptions. Yeah. It's it's so many assumptions that it becomes in my opinion, an absurdity to believe that the Nephilim were the progeny of supernatural angels and human women. Well, and I think too, and I don't know, you may not want to do this or not. We've already got, I'm seeing an hour and 20 minutes, but I think it was Connie earlier that mentioned Matthew 22. Oh yeah. In regard to the resurrection and angels and so that's one passage I think to consider, and Luke Luke also mentions that. I think to me, I like Luke's account better. Nothing wrong with Matthew's, but yeah, I prefer Luke's account myself. Yeah, for, for other reasons. But then, so one of the issues I think that I've encountered before is people's misunderstanding of Revelation twelve when Satan oh, was cast yeah. out. That's not yeah. a prehistoric event that John's talking about there. No, because it goes on. I think it's in verse ten that talks about when all that took place, now the kingdom and the power and salvation has come. Yeah. I think that's tied to Pentecost. Revelation yes. 12 and the the war between Michael and his angels is not some like after or pre-creation event historically that took place. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, also, the, um, well, th- this where I put this from Jason Goldtrap, a third of the angels rebelled against God. There are some things we don't, we won't understand. I mean, According to Scripture, where did God put those angels that rebelled when they sinned? They cast God put them, down. them. God put them somewhere. Yeah. According to Peter, where are they? They're reserved in chains unto darkness. They're not the in the earth. Judgment. They're not in the earth. No. They're not in the earth. And again, that's another assumption. Well, they they were on the earth for a little bit, and they procreated with all these women. Then God put them in the chains. <laughs> yeah. It's just not logical. That's the problem with it. You got too many hurdles to overcome. Yeah, constantly um, in the pit. Yeah, yeah, in the pit, in the pit. I cannot believe the amount of people we've had in this live stream. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Please, everybody, subscribe and share our content. We'd love for you to do that. And in fact, uh, I'll put the overlay up. Um, follow us on Substack. Well, never mind. I can't find the overlay. There we go. Follow us on Substack. And by us, you don't mean me. <laughs> well, no, you're not on Substack. No, that's that's. But, uh, sorry, I'm used no, to doing okay. this with Aaron Dotson. Yeah, yeah. Um, Christianity Now is on Substack, and and I, I put out an article. Uh, Aaron and I have talked. He's going to start putting out more articles. Um, you can support us monetarily. The best place to do it is a five dollar a month subscription on Substack. But you can do Patreon, or you can. Uh, I'll put this up. Um, just uh. Well, hold on. That's not the one. Right right here. This tip jar. Nearchurches at gmail.com. You can send a monetary donation there as well. But uh, anyway, that's it. Oh, we've neglected the most important question. <laughs> How is Barry's cat? Oh, man, I'm glad you brought that up. Finley's wonderful. That's it? Yeah, he's good. <laughs> All right. little, cold, little cold, but he's good. Well, that was he sick or something? No, it's six degrees here. <laughs> oh, okay. So the Scott's just asking because yeah, okay, I got you. Yeah, I thought maybe your cat was 
was sick. He's that Scottish fold. He's got the folded ears and he doesn't have a tail. So he's a unique looking little creature. This is hilarious. <laughs> Philip S. Carmen. <laughs> I walk on the treadmill when I listen. Some days it's a short walk. Other days I wonder if my legs are going to give out. <laughs> I appreciate that more than you can ever know. That's amazing. All right, Barry, let me run back up through here. I don't see any questions. Um, my cat went out on the porch, looked around, and came right back in. <laughs> One of the definitions of giants is a very great size or force. Absolutely. That's why Curtis Cates was a giant amongst the brethren. Oh, uh, something I wanted to say. Now I can't think of his name. Jackson, Jackson, Wayne Jackson. As far as I'm concerned, now this is, I got to give credit where credit's due. Got to give honor where honor's due. I don't agree with everything our good brother, our late and lamented brother believes. I believe he has some key issues of the Holy Spirit wrong. Not in a damnable way. It's just I disagree with him. But when it comes to the nature of Satan, demons, angels, and all this, that, and the other. I think he's probably the foremost authority on it. I mean, he's done so much study, and I've got, I don't know who gave them to me. I don't know where I got them from, but I've got a list. of I got a set of CDs from a lecture in Texas, and he's got three or four lectures, and every one of them have to do with this topic. And in the lectures, he said, you know, it's, it's great. He said, I kind of want to, it's great about being considered to be the authority on something, but I kind of want to talk about something else. But he talked about how Satan, he, he laid out such a masterful case that Satan is actually a fallen angel. And I thought he did a wonderful job. So I don't know how you could ever find those same lectures that I listened to, but I would imagine that you could, he, as prolific of a writer as he was, you could find where he's talked about it. Thank you, Brandon Wild. Barry, do you have anything you want to clean up? Any anything that you think we missed? Anything that one thing we didn't mention, and this is not every time, but oftentimes when you're talking about this word giant or Nephilim, Rephaim, whatever, it's tied into Anak, the descendants of Anak. Yes, you're correct. I mean, think oh, about that. That's something to consider too. That and and that's the and I said this earlier. The Bible doesn't record everything for us. So no. whoever that was, they're tied to him. Yeah. Or it or whatever, you know. Yeah. So just something to consider. Yes. Um, man, I'm going to tell you, just he, he, here's my, this is what I'm going to leave you with, folks. Slice through these things with Occam's razor. Look, every chance you get, demystify the Bible. The Bible's not mystic. The Bible's not a book of mysticism and superstition. We got to get out of the occult. Yeah. It is one of the coolest things in the world to think about. Oh, yeah, giants, man. These these Nephilim, they're the offspring of, like, that's wonderful. Like, I, look, one of my guilty pleasures is um, I watched all 128 seasons of the te- television show Supernatural on the WB. <clears throat> And the crazier and stupider it got, the better I liked it. 
And quite frankly, the uh, this idea of the Nephilim and stuff like that, that's like something you'd see on that television show. Um, Xavier Park, good question. If Satan is part of God's plan, doesn't that make God responsible for Satan? If I had a pit bull that I bred and I knew if I unleashed him, it would attack a bunch of children, I would go to jail. So that's that. what you've, you're asking, first off, you're asking a good question. And I know you well enough that I believe, when I say that, I mean, it's a parasocial. I, I've just seen you in the comment section. I don't believe that you're trying to do a gotcha, and I don't believe you're being disrespectful. So I think that acknowledgement buys me the right to speak fairly directly. What you've pointed out is a seeming moral dilemma, but it's a very specious argument. God is, first off, God God knowing that Satan would do what he would do is not the same as God planning for Satan to do what he did. In other words, God did not plan for Satan to do this, but God knew that Satan was going to do it. Just like God did not plan for Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But he planned for it in that he he already purposed in his mind to send Jesus. Remember, God sees things outside of time and space. Now, Satan, the angels evidently have free moral agency, and Satan and those that were cast out with him exercised that free moral agency, and so God aptly punished them. You and I, we have free moral agency. Now, because we practice our free moral agency, really, really bad things happen, but those things are evil. In other words, they have the absence of goodness. They are characterized by the absence of goodness. So if I go to the bar and I drink 27 drinks and I drive home and I plow into a young mother with a newborn child, killing both of them, well, God did not do that. Tony did that. God is not responsible for that because I had free moral agency. With freedom, you do not get safety. You cannot be both safe and free. You can take a lion from the plains of Africa and put it in a cage and feed it every day and that lion will never, ever want for anything except freedom. And it will never, ever starve. You'll take care of it when it's sick, all that stuff. But it will never actualize. It will never run down a gazelle or anything like that. In other words, you've robbed that lion of its nature. You don't really have a lion anymore. With humanity, God, because God is just, God said, I'm going to create humanity and they're going to have free moral agency and mankind decided to do this. So I don't know if that answers your question 100%, but that, that, that moral dilemma is not the, I mean, it, it just falls flat. It's impotent. What do you think, Barry? Well, I was just thinking, and I think you, what the way you described it was very well, uh, God's knowledge or God's foreknowledge is not the same as causation. 
Right. And I think when you get into discussions like like that, I think that's a good question, legitimate question. But like yes. predestination and things like this, God knowing something would happen doesn't mean that God made it happen. Right. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. I always get nostalgic when I'm around you. I, I don't have any idea why, Barry. <laughs> anyway, whenever Anthony was just a wee lad, I'm talking, you can't see my hand, but I mean, just a couple foot high. He, he barely out of being a toddler. I mean, he could really get around good. I carried him to the horse barn. And at the horse barn, we got a bunch of feral cats. But they're not quite feral either because people mess with them. But they ain't pet cats, if you catch my drift. Yeah. Uh, Anthony kept, there's this one cat that is about half friendly. And Anthony kept messing with it. And I, I just, I, I squatted down on my heels and looked him in the eye. And I said, now, Anthony, you keep messing with that cat. He's going to run up one side of you and down the other. And it's going to hurt and you're going to cry and I'm going to hug you and I'm going to hold you. But it's still going to hurt and it's still going to make you sad. Well, guess what happened? He did it. Now, I knew it was going to happen. I had foreknowledge. But I didn't control it. And it wasn't my fault. Now, you could arguably say, well, Tony Anthony was such a young boy. No, this was me as a dad allowing my son a really, really inexpensive lesson. <laughs> but you blow this out to a cosmic scale and you have God and humanity. Yeah. Foreknowledge. That was my apologetic when I was a chaplain. I mean, so then you have to deny God because that is the answer. I mean, God knows everything. And if, if God takes care, if, if God, if God takes away man's free moral agency, then God is not God. So God doesn't exist. Like man has to have free moral agency in order for God to be God because otherwise God would not be just. No. So I, I don't know. I don't know how to help you there. I mean, that's, that's the answer. Like God knew what Satan was going to do, you know, but it's not God's fault. Satan did it. Well, Jesus knew what is it? John 13. Jesus knew from the beginning who would betray him. Yeah. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do, but Judas went and got the money and took an opportunity yeah. and yeah. Knowledge yeah. foreknowledge is not causation. No foreknowledge. And again, uh, with you, the nature of God, God would not be God. Yeah, yeah, you can do one more question. But then we got to go. I, I can't, well, I can't speak for Barry. Barry, if you need to go, you're welcome to go. But Let's do one more. All right. Yeah, we do got to get off here for an hour and 35 minutes. But yeah, so. Y'all be sure and subscribe. And we haven't done the ad read. Don't forget, we won't do a full ad read, but Lindsay Dotson, Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com. If you are a church, a congregation, or any other organization, then if you're planning an event where you need social media graphics, flyers, postcards, whatever, contact Lindsay Faye Dotson through Facebook, or through private message, or send an email to Lindsay Faye Dotson at email, uh, Lindsay, Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com. For more details, you can uh, really get some good stuff for your event. Um, I figured we'd have the question by now. 
Do, 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 do. Is it still up there, Tony? Not currently. No. We got a little <laughs> but it is, inches. It is unseasonably warm. Huh. Now, you want me to tell you the temperature? Sure. About 30 degrees. <laughs> My phone says it's eight here in Mammoth Spring right now. Ooh, that's cold, buddy. Yeah. I don't care who you are. And listen, don't let these Canadians fool you. They shut down in the winter just like everybody else. We just, the, the Canadians just have a better infrastructure for dealing with the roads. So they go to, ch- they go to church, they go to work, they go to school, but they, it's about all they do. They, they still, they we're just, it, it's still, yeah, it's not quite like springtime or summertime. All right. Doesn't God violate people's agency all the time? He hardened Pharaoh's heart in the Bible. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, in fact, let, let me in, let me do this. Um, Barry, do you want to field that as I'm looking something up? Sure. So when you're in the early chapters of Exodus, of course, Moses being called to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. Well, who am I? They won't listen to me, etc. You have the plagues that God, or the, I guess you'd say the signs to the, toward the yeah. Egyptians that would come from God. And it's not, well, I think one of the things to understand is as you read all of that text, and I was just looking for specific chapter references, but I mean, essentially, beginning in Exodus chapter 4 all the way through chapter 12, where you have the 10th uh, the, uh, plague, death of the firstborn, et cetera, um, you have an exchange or a exchange. I'm sure there's a better word, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. That, that That's, Go ahead. sorry, I got excited. That's where we're going. Go, okay, go, go. Well, I mean, God <laughs> demanded of Pharaoh things that Pharaoh didn't want to do. So yes, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yes. And it's, it's just like second Thessalonians two, that, those who do not receive the love of the truth, God will send them a strong delusion. That they might believe a lie. That they might, if you don't believe the truth, you'll believe anything, as it's yeah. been said. Well, you know? and, and I believe that the, the delusion that God will send is his delaying sending his son back. Like that, 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 that seems to be the context of First and Second Thessalonians. So the, the, the lie that they believe is because Jesus hasn't returned, Jesus is not returning. Yeah. Uh, again, this you know well, that's agree a common with me. belief. I mean, Peter wrote about that. Yes, and, and and so these delusional people, well, Jesus hasn't returned, so is he even coming back? Oh well, then I'm now I'm believing the lie that Jesus isn't coming back. But I, I pulled it up on my trusty rusty e sword, and I searched in Exodus the phrase "his heart." All right, and Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither. Did he set his heart to this also? When Pharaoh, this is 815, but when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord said. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time. So if the scriptures say both, if God says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, that's foreknowledge. And, fa- and the scriptures after the fact says Pharaoh hardened his heart, then we either have a bona fide Bible contradiction or 
we have a conception, a, a con, sorry, a concept of God through his actions is going to harden Pharaoh's heart, but God performs the action of sending Moses and Aaron saying, let my people go. And it's that action that God takes because God is God that hardens Pharaoh's heart. Mm-hmm. Because it causes Pharaoh to harden his own heart. Pharaoh had free will. Pharaoh could have could have obeyed God. But I explained this, and I ain't gonna lie to you. This was my this was my mother. She had a problem with this. And I said, so what if I were to tell you that, like, I know that you refuse to drink water out of a plastic bottle and you're five minutes away from dying of thirst. And I turn to somebody and say, I am going to kill this woman. Now this sound, hopefully don't get downgraded in the algorithm. Anyway, (laughs) I'm going to off this woman. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, watch this. I come to, uh, I have a, I have a bottle of water with plastic water and I say, here, here's your water and you won't die. Now, a thousand years later, somebody might write and Tony offed this woman, but really and truly the woman, and they could also say this woman offed herself because this woman would be alive if she ate, if she drank the water, but I knew she wasn't going to drink the water. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Like I, I used what I knew of her for yeah. this outcome. And you knew what would happen. Yeah. Because of her, what, stance? I guess. It, it's well, not perfect, but I mean, it's, a, it's yeah. good enough. It made her understand. Well, and so um, like he goes on, uh, Xavier Park goes on to ask about what about David? Didn't he also, God, incite David to commit a census and cause him to sin? Right. Seconds. Well, it, you and, and this goes, what is it? Is it Psalm 119, 160? The sum of thy word is truth. Yes. Read First Chronicles 21 because it says that Satan moved against Israel and moved David to number the people. And to yeah. me, it's the same thing as, as uh, Pharaoh. A census was not forbidden by God. In fact, there are other times where he commanded it. Yeah. What was forbidden by God was to rely on your own resources for victory. That's it. And so Satan moved against the nation of Israel as a whole because when David did that, God said, all right, here's your choice for what you did. There were three options. Yeah. God permitted Satan to move against Israel, if you will, if you want to phrase yeah. it that way. I guess I'm saying that correctly. Yeah. And so God not made that happen, but God permitted that to happen. Yeah. Well, this this comment here, if the text says God hardened Pharaoh's heart and also says Pharaoh hardened his own heart, that's a contradiction. No, it's not. Mm-mm. It's written from two different perspectives. Yeah. You know, in a sense, God hardened Pharaoh's heart because God asked Pharaoh something that fa- that he knew Pharaoh wouldn't do. Yeah. Well, and you don't have different authors disagreeing with who did it. No, you got the same author. Moses was told repeatedly, write down what you are being told. Yeah, this this is the same author. Yeah, but that's the thing. You, th- th- this is not a Bible contradiction. In fact, this of all the alleged Bible contradictions, this quite frankly is 
weak sauce. This is so easily explained. It's again with the with the with the illustration of my mother in the water. Um, she's five minutes away from dying of thirst. Well, I kill her by giving her water that she refused that I know she'll refuse to drink. But I didn't actively kill her. So from one perspective, you could write and say, well, Tony, Tony killed that woman by giving her a bottle of, of water that's plastic. And from another perspective, well, this woman killed herself by not drinking the water that was in the plastic bottle. Both of those statements are true. Yeah. That's what it is here. Pharaoh hardened his own heart whenever God asked him to do something he was unwilling to do. Well, I think one way to help illustrate that too is Pharaoh offered compromises. Yes. You can do this. You can go this far. You can take this with you, leave yeah. this. So, but then he... Then he hardened his heart because he didn't want to do what God told him was going That's to it. happen. That's it. Yeah. Like right now, right now. So think about I'm like, let's Barry, you're Moses. I'm God. All right. No, no, no delusions of grandeur here whatsoever. Um, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I'm going to harden his heart. Right now, he is his heart is neutral. His heart is neither hard nor soft towards my will. But I'm going to send you and you and Aaron tell him to let my people go. I'm going to harden his heart in that way. Now, once we're done, once once you fulfill my instructions, Pharaoh's heart is no longer going to be neutral. It's either going to be hardened or softened. But the decision is Pharaoh's. So, from that perspective, Pharaoh hardened his own heart, but he did it because of the actions of God, which God had to take because God had to liberate his people. Yes. <laughs> if God hardened his heart the way you want to read into it, why have the plagues in Scripture at all then? That's a good question, but the rebuttal to that from Xavier would be, well, because you're dealing with a book that isn't true, it's written by man, and that's just a plot hole. The problem is it's not a plot hole. But anyway, yeah. So I mean, I think we've beat this horse about enough. There's that that's just a specious a, a specious argument. Um yeah. trying to think of anything else that we could akin that it could be akin to. Um you've already brought out David numbering the people. Yeah, the, the very Judas. Yeah, Judas. The very first comment Xavier when Xavier first started commenting, uh, he was not the he was not Xavier the what is it? Cuban Buddhist. The Cuban Buddhist. He was Xavier a survivor of church trauma or something. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh if you sin and send yourself to hell, but God hardened your heart. Oh, if you I sin, can't. you send yourself to hell. Oh, yes. But God, you know, if you're not willing to do what God says, if you violate his will, yes. then yeah, oh, God has hardened your heart. Yeah. Well, oh, uh, da, 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 da. Stephen, you stiff neck and uncircumcised mm -hmm. of 
heart, you do always, as your fathers did, resist the Holy Ghost. Um, there was a point I was going to make from that, but like they they were stiff necked. God did that. He did it just by being God. Yeah. Though he didn't he didn't actively do it. He passively did it. And I think what Xavier is trying to get at is God actively hardened Pharaoh's heart, and that's not the case. So the, I think Barry, I think that's a good way to explain it. Yeah. That's the nomenclature I was looking for. There you go. So that's how you explain that alleged Bible contradiction. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. That's active. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's passive. Now, it's still God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. It's still in the, um, probably still in the active, active voice. voice. Yes. But contextually, it's it's passive. Like, how did God harden Pharaoh's heart? By what by what God demanded, yeah, and Pharaoh's reaction to that was he hardened his own heart. So from that perspective, God passively hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah, Satan had uh, Satan. Pharaoh had to make a decision from what he was being told by God's mouthpiece, Moses. And yeah, Adam. same way with us. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes when I'm a guest speaker at, at a place that I've never preached. I'll begin my sermon by saying, I'm about to preach a gospel sermon. And for those of you that are here this morning, if you never heard the gospel and you never obeyed the gospel, if you do not intend to obey the gospel today, it would be better for you if you don't hear this sermon. Because my job in this sermon is going to bring be to bring you face to face with your need for salvation. And at the end of the sermon, you can either accept or reject God's saving grace. You will never, ever be from here on out, you will never be a person who just passively is in the world having not obeyed the gospel. Yeah. You will always be a person who has taken a stance against the gospel and rejected it. Yeah. That's a hardened heart, folks. So, I'm preaching, and basically what I say is, what I'm about to preach, I'm going to harden your heart. Some of you. Some of you, I'm going to soften your heart. Well, I have no control over whose heart is hardened and whose heart is softened. It's their reaction to it. I believe that would be the parable of the sower. If it ain't, it misses a good chance. <laughs> All right. Barry? I think, as much as I would love to continue this for the next six hours, I think we're done. Well, good. I'm hungry. All right. Well, folks, this has been, th and, and Xavier, I don't want you to not come back. I want you to keep coming back, and I hope I've made that known. Well, I've um, seen him a lot in your past videos. Yeah. yeah. With uh, good comments, too. Yes. Yeah. We want to be very respectful. I want to put this little caption up again. Um, it's not exactly germane, but the general principle is regardless of what we think, the judge of all the earth, God is the final judge and he will do right. Genesis 18, 25. Um, I, and, and, and that's, it doesn't matter who we are. Ted Knight. I'm glad you're here, Ted. I, I not once have I said, lean in and listen during this podcast. <laughs> oh, Ted, man. I, I love that phrase. I've stolen it from him. I want y'all to listen. Now, listen. I want you to lean in and listen. 
The judge of all the earth will do right, regardless of what you or I think. It's our job to read this Bible with an open heart and an open mind and ascertain his will and apply it to our everyday walks of life. Now, I don't want to start something new, but based on that overlay, regardless of what we think overlay, so here's my question. If it were the case, this is how I'll close Okay, for myself. If it were the case that the sons of God in Genesis 6 were fallen angels, so what? What does that do in your responsibility to obey God? Correct. What What does it matter? Yeah, it's good. Good. Good question. And I'll, academic. I'll I'll take you one further. Okay. I believe there's a lot of argumentation and division around. You got to put a little pomp, pompous tone in your in your mouth for this eschatological <laughs> conversations. Yeah. And the end time stuff. Yeah. Look, there is a sense in which if Jesus returns and he says, you know what? You got it wrong, dummy. I'm going to have a kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. Are you so stupid you can't read the Bible? I'd be like, I'm not complaining. Like, that's not the way. I don't believe for a minute that's what's going to happen. I believe the Bible explicitly teaches against this idea of premillennialism and stuff like that. But regardless of what you think about is going to happen after Jesus' second coming, what's that change as far as being right with God through him when he gets here? I mean, we, we got to, you know. Yeah. Anyway. All right, folks. Barry, I'm going to shut her down. Okay, thanks for letting me come on. I enjoyed it. Man, uh, thank you so much, Barry. Folks, this has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. Remember, Substack, YouTube, all that good stuff. We had like, we had almost 50 in at one point. Restream and send me an email and tell me exactly. Y'all have just been amazing. Uh, thank you for the comments. Thank you for everything. Um, and that's it. God bless every one of you, and we'll catch you on the flip side.